transportation, please. Hi, and welcome to Religious Not Spiritual, the podcast where Matt Cook, a disillusioned preacher, reads through the entire Bible and talks about whatever comes up. In this episode, Luke continues to show us a huge reversal in power structures, now delivering us a god baby in a feeding trough. And we consider how religion is best when it constantly dies and has to give birth to itself again. Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. I am excited that we're in Luke. Um, you know, it's, it's one of the only, uh, not one of the only, but it is a two-part book, you may not realize. Uh, Luke and Acts, it seems, were like the same book, or at least Acts is like Luke's sequel, written by the same guy who church tradition says was Luke, who was an evangelistic partner of Paul, and uh, hints that he was a physician. Um, but that view isn't really held much today, and Luke is never identified as the author anywhere in the Bible, so there's really no need to hold on to that, even if you are a believer. Uh, what we do know is, though, that Luke is the prettiest Greek that we have in the New Testament. Luke chapter 2. In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinus was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house of the lineage of David, to be registered with Mary his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in a swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them at the inn. So far, so far it's a tiny bit different from, remember, there's only two places um, in the Bible where it talks about the nativity of Jesus, the situation surrounding his birth, that's Matthew and Luke, uh, which both have a lot of shared information. So here we are in Bethlehem, no room at the inn, they're in a manger, doesn't mention that in Matthew. In Matthew, they just happen to be in Bethlehem. It's almost implied that that's where Joseph lives, but no, not here. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone all around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. Now, it's kind of cool because this, this is such a familiar passage for me and probably for jillions of you out there. And it's so familiar that we don't see how interestingly jarring it is, how mythological it is. This will be the sign. You'll find a baby, okay, wrapped in swaddling clothes, okay, in a manger. What? In a manger. Now, for us, if I if, if if you hear the word manger in you know modern Western society, you immediately think of the Christ child. That's 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 because we don't use the word manger in our daily talk except for that. If we said feed trough, that would be something different, right? You'll find a baby, okay, all swallowed up, okay, in a feeding trough. What? 
That's strange. That's jarring. It's a sign for both the shepherds and the reader. Something strange is happening. Something is being moved. Hey, here, here's why something is being moved. What's the purpose of a feeding trough, right? It is to feed the animals that we ourselves will either feed on or sacrifice, right? Right? We have a, a, an ox or a cow or a lamb. We put grain in it to feed it to feed ourselves or to feed our God. But now what we're having is we're having our God and ourself in the feeding trough. And that's a powerful image. That's an image that you could hold on to that for a long time and never run out of cool, applicable metaphors to work with. That's the power of myth and, and the numbing power of mindless repetition of myth and a refusal to renovate and reinvigorate our myth. Because when you read, you will find a baby in swaddling clothes lying in a major. We think, yeah, that's where the baby goes. Instead of being jarred by that, oh my God, a baby in a feeding trough. Not just a baby, but the Christ child, the God man. What's going on? Signifying the whole book of Luke is going to show us a huge reversal of things. That's my thesis now. I'm in chapter two. I think that's my thesis of Luke. We're going to take the normal stuff. We're not going to escape it, but we're going to turn it completely on its head and see if it works better. Verse 13, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. I actually remember one of the last um, Christmas sermons I heard in a, in a Brethren church, I mean, and they were going through this passage, and it was very, the, I only remember one thing. They, they were skipping everything, but they were focusing on one thing. This is why a lot of our Christmas carols are inaccurate, he said. Because look, it says, the angel, the heavenly hosts were praising God and saying glory to God. And he went on this big thing about how we always assume angels sing, but nowhere in the Bible do we see angels singing? And his point was to condemn a bunch of uh, songs and, you know, uh, popular mythologies that angels are singers. And I thought, what a, what a misapplication of a cool teeny tiny detail in our inherited scripture. We see that angels don't sing. That's a cool fact. But he's taking that fact to abuse other spiritual narratives. Hark the herald angels sing. He didn't want us to sing that song at church anymore because angels don't sing. It doesn't matter what kind of power that spiritual vocabulary, that ritual song is for people. He thought that the belief in the doctrine was way, way more important than the meaning that you could get out of the myth, which is, you know, in my opinion, I've mentioned this before, that's where most religion goes wrong anyway by putting the doctrines and teachings and beliefs over the actual uses of religion. Which is why religions go through this interesting cycle where they keep changing and then falling away and dying whenever they try to be rigid. It reminds me of that part in the Bible where, it might even be in Luke, where Jesus says, you know, unless a seed goes into the ground and dies, it can't bear fruit. It's kind of like if we want to make something out of Christianity, we have to let Christianity as it is completely die. We are clutching and grasping at this relic of a religion, and we think that the foundations of it are issues of doctrine and dogma, 
when in fact there are no foundations of it. It's a thing that we should always be turning on its head and turning over and reimagining as human society goes on and on and on. Let's move on. When the angel went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. Good call, shepherds. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning the child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Oh, that's a really cool thing. So here we see the shepherds are reacting very appropriately. We just heard there's a wild, amazing thing from this amazing message. They go see the wild, amazing thing, and they go away praising God. And everybody's talking about it. But the person who's really, really involved, Mary, the person whose baby this is, she ponders them and thinks about them. It's almost as if even now, even now that the baby is here, the onus is on Mary. What will this new religious project be like? And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. That, that detail is also in Matthew, uh, the, the angel Gabriel, who appears to Joseph. Um, actually, it doesn't say it's Gabriel in Matthew, but we're assuming. Uh, it says, you know, take this baby, call him Jesus. Uh, and interestingly, Matthew, it says, this, this will fulfill what it says by the prophet when they said they were going to call him Emmanuel. But that's from Matthew. We're not going to dig into that here. Verse 22. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. That's a reference to uh, the Torah where... So, so you remember God slays all the firstborn of Egypt in order to redeem his people. And then as they go out and, and the commandments are being down in this beautifully intricate uh, system of law, which I think evangelicals wrongly disparage as some sort of a dead thing, but really it's like this amazing community building uh, structure. As it's being uh, built, one of the notes is every firstborn is mine. Um, because I, because by the cost of the firstborns of Egypt, you guys came out and got free. So all the firstborns of mine, even of the animals, um, in order to redeem your firstborn so that you can keep them, you know, in this metaphorical sense and not actually devote them to Yahweh, you, you give a sacrifice for the firstborn, a special one. So, uh, verse 24, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord a pair of turtle doves, or two young pigeons. There's a lot of really cool tiny things here that I can't gloss over. So, so, so it specifies that they're giving two turtle doves or pigeons. Interestingly, in the Torah, that is what the, uh, uh, the poor people give. That is the um, lowest uh, afforded blood sacrifice that there is for your firstborn. So it's really letting us know right off the bat, this kid is born in a poor, poor family. Uh, no room at the inn, has to sleep in the stable, a pair of turtle doves for sacrifice. Every other, if you think about the other birth announcements of people like Alexander the Great, like it's elevated to the extreme. 
It's like, behold comes the bigger king, the bigger king, the bigger king. But Luke's project seems to be, let's have the least of these becoming the king. Let's, let's find the bottom rung of society, a young woman getting pregnant out of wedlock, giving birth in a stable, only affording a couple of turtle doves. Let's put that image, that family on center stage and see what happens. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. It's amazing how much the Spirit is being mentioned in Luke. I'm only realizing it now. The Spirit was being mentioned, obviously, when uh, Zechariah was getting uh, in the temple, and then Mary having the Spirit coming on her, and then the Spirit jumping John in Elizabeth's womb. It, there's a lot of Spirit movement here. And I've always considered the spirit uh, in the New Testament to be a very feminine force. I believe that pneuma is a feminine word. That's the word for spirit in the New Testament. Um, even though there's a lot of places where they use masculine verbs for the spirit, like in Matthew, there's, there's, there's a feminine feel, I think. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death until he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him in his arms and blessed God, saying, Lord, now you are letting your spirit depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. I absolutely love this image. Do you know why I love this image? Because here you have this old, old man, well advanced in years, and he's hanging out in the temple all the time. So he's hanging out in this place of the, um, the, the, the religion of the forefathers, okay? This stability, this ancient lineage that has not yet fallen. But what does he see? He sees the new thing. He sees this new kid and, and, and his mother who up until now in this book, is representing a reversal of power structure, and he rejoices at it. Oh, I've seen your salvation. Oh, we're turning this thing around now. And it makes me think of, what do we usually do? I, 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 okay, so I look, at, I, I look at my kids, and I look at the kinds of morality that's being presented to them and that they're growing up with, and I look at my peers, most of the people in my school are younger than me, and I'm listening to what's getting them excited, what's getting them um, pumped for justice, what's getting them ethically outraged, and I am constantly being amazed at how caring and how empathetic and how honest the young people today are in their quest to do right, to, to, to work towards creating a society that does justice and loves mercy. And my heart breaks when I see people my age and older who are just dumping on it. It seems out of spite because it seems that the whole social justice move is very much in line with the religion I inherited, very much in line with the idea of leveling the mountains, bringing up the valleys, lowering the hills, making the rich go away hungry, and bringing the poor in and filling them. Very much in line with the whole project, it seems, of Christ. 
and yet it is those of Christ who oppose it the most. So I just delight in seeing this old man Simeon who is day and night in the temple, who absolutely represents an uncompromising devotion to the old system to recognize this new thing is great, I'm on board, I'm glad I got to see it before I die. Because I think that's the proper reaction. It also reminds me of like in Acts, which Luke also wrote, where you have Paul, who there represents, you know, the, the, the continuation of this innovation of this topsy-turvy new societal value thing. And, and, and the religious leaders who are so staunch in their ways are trying to figure out how do, we, how do we stop this new thing? How do we stop all these people going around talking about these new ideas that we don't like and bringing new people in? How do we stop it? And one of the guys says, guys, we don't know if this is something that we should stop. For all we know, this could be God's working. So if this is not going to come to anything, it'll die on its own. However, if this is something that we as a human society need right now, then if you fight it, you're going to find yourself fighting against God. So that's what I think about whenever I hear my peers, my religious Christian peers, dumping on the very new and exciting things and the new exciting devotions that are coming out. Uh, the commitments to equality and to justice. Verse 33. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. Whew, that's a cool thing. Oh, man. The father and mother marveled. You mean this little guy? This little kid? His father and mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother. Again, it's always Mary who's being entrusted. It's always Mary who's given the announcements and who treasures them in her heart. She is the, what's the word? The repository. She is the one who is, this is all her work. This is all hers. And said to Mary, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Did it do 